you take your Bibles with me. Turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Have you ever just looked at something that you knew you weren't supposed to touch and you just couldn't stop yourself and you just had to touch it? The cookie jar. That's the one I always got in trouble for. My aunt had a cookie jar and she made the best cookies. Honestly, I can honestly say this. My aunt made the best cookies ever. Until I met my wife. And I'm not even being biased here. My wife just makes the best chocolate chip cookies. So if you've never had them, she'll have to make you a batch so that we can have some more. Anyway, that's off topic. I don't even know where that came from. But uh, when I was a kid, I had this phenomenon happen over and over and over again where I had to, or at least I thought I had to touch something. I could look at an electrical outlet and go, I wonder what would happen if I stuck something metal in there, like, like a key. You know, kids and keys, they like things, and I like keys, and so I would try to find all these spare keys around. And one time, I remember sticking that in there, and that didn't feel good. <laughs> I would look at a saw while my dad was cutting something, and I would wonder, wonder what would happen if your hand got caught in that. I never did that. How about this one? Here's a frozen pole. I wonder what would happen if I stuck my tongue on that. I also can say I've never done that, but I watched somebody else do it, and I learned my lesson. Kids, the stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. What happens if I stick my hand on it? My cousin, when she was growing up, they, in their house, they had a, um, ah, an out, a kerosene heater is what it was. And so they had it in their house just to, for a little bit of extra heat. And uh, she was running around playing, and she tripped, and she fell, and she went to put, brace herself. And she put her hand right on top of that kerosene heater. And I remember the blister on that thing was huge. So kids or teenagers, if you're in here, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Our parents told us no. Our parents told us not to do things. But we just had to find out why. Why did they tell us no? Why did they not want us to do that? And seriously, what do our parents know anyway? I mean, they don't actually know what's going to happen. This kind of story has nothing to do with our message. No, I'm just kidding. It has everything to do with our message. I want you to see Joshua chapter 6, one of the most exciting stories in the Bible. Joshua chapter 6 is where the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Joshua 6, we're going to read the whole part, mainly the whole passage, but I want you to see what happens here. The Bible says, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor, and ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when the, uh, that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, 
And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the re-reward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the re-reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp, so did they six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day. That they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity of being here this morning. And I pray that you would help us to understand what it is that you would have us do in our lives. Father, I pray that we would follow you and, and listen to you and hear you and trust you. And Father, we can do so because we know you have our best interest in mind. And Father, we thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Without that, we have nothing. And I pray that you would help us to understand that this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled this morning, Forward Despite Logic. Forward Despite Logic. If you haven't noticed yet, even in your own personal life, or if you haven't noticed in the Bible yet, God doesn't do things the way that we think he should. God does things much differently. He does things above and beyond anything that we could ever think or ask. So sometimes God does things that we would never even think of. But such is the case here with the children of Israel. I want to show you, first of all, this morning, the promise the promise. Look on verse 2 again with me and see the promise that God gives them. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. What you need to understand is they're not even attacking the city yet. Before they ever make it to the city, they realize that the city is shut up. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out. They had already gotten the city. They had already defeated it. God had already done all of this. They were too scared. If you will, they were scared to death. They didn't know that the people of Jericho didn't know what was going to happen. But these people, the children of Israel, they had a promise from God. They had a promise that this city, this fortified fortress, was going to be overcome by God. They had a promise. They had a promise that God 
would take the city. All that the children of Israel had to do was, listen to this, act on the promise. All they had to do was act on the promise. God had promised them, listen, the city is shut up. Nobody's going in. Nobody's going out. It's all closed up. I'm going to give it to you. Not only the city, but the kings and all the mighty men. There's nobody in there that's going to overtake you. You are going to take this city. And what would happen if they just sat there? Twiddling their thumbs. Well, nothing would have happened. They had to act upon the promise. So the question is this. How were they going to act? Well, very simply, I want to show you number two, the pathway. The pathway. Look at verse three. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. Jump down to verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. All of you mathematicians out there, how many times did they compass the city total? Thirteen. Excellent. There's one person that's brave enough to throw that out. Thirteen. Six days, one time a day, and then on the seventh day they compass it seven times. So thirteen times. The very specific plan of God, the pathway of God, was to encircle the city thirteen times. Now, they were to go six days once. On the seventh day, seven times. Once they went around the city seven times on the seventh day, the trumpets were to blow, the people were to the shout, and the walls would come tumbling down. Very specific. The city is said to have a circumference of a little more than half a mile. Now, I want you to listen to this. Of a little more than half a mile. So to get all the way around the city would, would be a half a mile. It takes the average person to walk a half a mile 10 to 15 minutes. 10 to 15 minutes to walk a half a mile. So literally from the time the first person started to the time the first person finished was approximately 15 minutes on day one. Now come on, imagine with me. I do understand there were thousands of them. Thousands of people walking the walls. But still, 15 minutes and you're done. And this is how battles are won? Not really. Look at verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. Joshua had also instructed them, Don't say anything. Don't be talking amongst each other. Now, we've done this with school children. Doesn't work so well. You stay in line and you don't talk. Now these are grown men. These are grown uh, people walking around the city and they're, they're ready for battle. They're dressed for it and they begin walking around the city. But they're not allowed to say anything. They're not allowed to do anything. All you are to do is to walk around the city. Does that seem logical to anybody? Does that seem normal to anybody else? Now, you have to understand the walls of the city of Jericho are huge. They are immense. In fact, it's said that people lived in the walls of Jericho. We know that by Rahab, the harlot. She was, her, her house was on the wall. And so these, these were not small walls. These were high and they were wide. They were huge walls. There was no way that they could penetrate them in any way, shape, or form, not even with a battering ram if they had any. And so this is something that, what in the world? And so, again, picture this with me. 
Day one, you get all your gear on. You're ready to go. You're ready to fight. And you, Joshua says, you're going to walk around the wall and you're not going to say anything. And so maybe you're the first or second in line. I don't know, wherever you are. And, and you walk and you walk for 15 minutes. You walk and then you go back to camp and you sit down. Huh, well, that was easy. Maybe you think and, you know, well, you see your wife again and she says, back so soon. Oh, oh, yeah, we just had to walk around the wall. Well, that seems silly. Oh, okay, day two, you get up. And you walk around the wall. Take 15 minutes, you walk around the wall again, and you get all, you've got all your gear on, and you go sit down. Now, if you're anything like me, and if the children of Israel are anything like me, you're beginning to think, I don't know if this is right. I mean, nothing's even moving. Like, the walls aren't starting to crack or anything. Day three, maybe you decide... I'm just going to bump up against the wall a couple times as I'm going through. Maybe they'll dislodge it or something. You know, day three, you walk 15 minutes and eh, bump up. Day four, start kicking it. Come on, something's got to happen, right? You start doing something. I mean, we're doing nothing. All we're doing is walking around these silly walls. Surely we have to do something for these walls. So we start kicking it. Maybe while you're waiting on the fifth day. Waiting for the first several thousand people to go. You stick your sword in one of the stones and you try and pry it out. Just try to do something to make the walls fall down. The sixth day. Still don't know what to do. Maybe you begin scratching your head. There's these little cricket sounds. What in the world is going on? We have to be quiet. We can't say anything. And we're just walking around these walls. Listen, I've been around these walls six times and there's not a crack in one of those stones. There's nothing here. They're, they're not shaking. They're not falling off from the top. Nothing is happening. What in the world? The seventh day. You get up. You walk around them six times. You get to six and a half times and you're going, this is not going to work. There is no way that this is going to work. And they get to the seventh time. For soon as the trumpets blow, as soon as they shout, the walls come tumbling down. Now, I hope you understand that the children of Israel didn't have to lean up against it. They didn't have to kick it. They didn't have to stick their sword in it. They didn't have to try and pry anything down. They just had to walk around it 13 times the way that God had instructed them. Once around the 13 times, they would shout, the trumpets would blow. And the product, the third thing, I want you to see the product. Look at verse 20. And so the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Now again, this is not logical. This is not normal. But the product is they followed God's instructions and the wall didn't just like crumble. It, the Bible says the wall fell down flat. They didn't have to crawl over anything. They didn't have to try and get up anything. The wall fell down flat. It was as if they were walking on easy street. Walking into the city. They didn't have to break apart the blocks. They were able to take the city because of what God had done. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 2 that the hearts of the people of Jericho did melt 
because of the stories that they heard from the children of Israel. Can you imagine what the people of Jericho felt when they saw the walls fall down flat? The thing that was protecting them, the thing that they had placed up, the, the, the immense thing that God had just broken apart. Can you imagine now they're scared to death of the children of Israel? And then this happens. The walls come tumbling down and they fall flat. They would have had all the life taken out of them. I don't think this would have been a very fierce battle. They would have known they would have been defeated. Again, I don't think there's one person in this room this morning that would take this and use this as a military strategy. In fact, just for fun, I looked it up. There's nobody in the entire universe that has ever used walking around something as a military strategy. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. It, 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 you're just walking around it. But can I get you to write this down or think about this this morning? A determination to follow God's method will bring miraculous results. Let me say that again. A determination to follow God's method will bring miraculous results. You have to believe that. Why does it take a determination? Why does it take a determination? Because our logic comes in and says there must be something more. Listen, we, we talked about this. I would try and kick a rock. Come on, this thing's got to fall down sometime. I mean, a rock's got to be loose or you maybe start scribing out the, the mortar or trying to get that stuff out. Listen, something's got to, I got to do something. I can't just walk around this wall 13 times. I gotta work hard. I gotta, I gotta, maybe I'll take a shovel tomorrow and I'll try and dig under the wall. I gotta do something. Listen, they didn't have to do anything. Logic sometimes deters us from what God has asked us to do. So, how does this story, how does this problem, how does this correlate to 2020 Christianity? How does this relate to my life? I want to ask you a question. And I want you to be honest with me. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think about this. How many of you would view this world as hopeless? You know what? The, nobody's going to get saved. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, there, there's nothing that's going good that's going to happen. I mean, there's just all these problems and all these things. And listen, 40 years ago, things were good. And now look at it today. Man, this is hopeless. We're going downhill too fast. Some of you that have been in church for a while, you might look at our young people and you might say, there, there are no young people giving their lives to Christ anymore. How are our churches going to keep going? Churches are closing. We just had a church in our city just close a couple weeks ago. Listen, churches are closing all over the place. We can look at our world and we can go, man, it's hopeless. But I want you to understand this. I want, I want to encourage you this morning with something that's been on my heart for a long time. Listen, God has a promise. God has a pathway. And God has a product for us. I want to give you three questions that sometimes you can ask yourself. Sometimes I ask myself, and I want to give you God's promise. And God's pathway. And God's product. The first question is this. Why won't God just show me? Why won't, why won't God just show me? 
Why, 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 is, he, why is he hiding from me? Why, why won't he just show me what to do? Why won't he reveal himself to me? Can I submit to you this morning, it's because we don't seek. It's because we don't seek. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 17, you see that on your screen, the Bible says this, I love them that love me. And those that seek me early, read this, the next three words, shall find me. Do you realize that God says, listen, if you seek me, you shall find me. What, what, where is God? Why is he? Why won't he show himself? Why won't he reveal himself to me? Why, why don't I know what to do? What's going on? Perhaps it's because we're not seeking. John chapter 14 and verse 21, the Bible says this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You see, God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants to give himself to you, but he wants you to seek after him. He wants you to see his commandments. He wants you to obey his commandments. He wants you to love him. He wants that. You might be saying, no, 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 Pastor Yeomans. No, no, no. I've already done that. I've already sought after God. I've already looked for him. But he doesn't seem to be interested in me. He doesn't seem to be listening. He doesn't seem to be wanting to hear. Listen, I've done that. Can I challenge you with this? Psalm 119 and verse 10. The Bible says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Can I ask you a question? Have you sought after God with your whole heart? What, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek God with your whole heart? I mean for more than one day. I mean for more than a week. I mean more than a month. I'm talking years upon years upon years of just seeking after God, learning of Him, understanding Him, loving Him, growing in your relationship with Him. The Bible says that when you seek Him, He will be found. Oh no, Pastor Yeomans, I don't want to do that. Surely there's something else I can do. Surely, I mean, surely there's something I can do to make that happen. Surely there's something I can do to, for God to see. No, no. God just says, seek. God just says, seek me. Psalm 42 and verse 1, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. A heart that's being hunted, a, a deer that's being hunted, running and trying to get away from the hunters. It's been running for a long time, panting, and he sees a brook, a stream, going through the forest, and oh, finally some refreshment. Do, do, do you seek after God like that? Do you want him like that, or is it just, well, if I get to it, I get to it. If, if, if I, you know, if I, you know, am in a really bad situation, then yeah, maybe I'll, I'll seek God a little bit more. But listen, God wants you to spend time. God wants you to understand him. Here's what the, I believe the problem is. It's kind of like working out. We never see immediate results, do we? 
We never see immediate results. You're working out, you're, you're running, you're, you're, you're pushing yourself as far as you can go, and then, I mean, you get done and you're just tired. Tomorrow you're sore. The next day is worse than the first day. And you go, this can't be worth it. There's got to be a better way, said everybody ever trying to lose weight. Listen, but that's how it's done. And you get up the next day and you do something. Listen, if I work out one day and then 10 years later I work out again, am I going to be strong? No. It takes every single day doing something, working towards something, seeking after God. You might be thinking this. That's for fanatics, Pastor Yeoman. That's for people who are crazy. That's for like, you know, weird people. Can I submit to you this? That's for people who want God. That's for people who want to know who God is. That's for people who want God to reveal himself to him. And they understand who he is and they know where he is and they know where to go get him. That's what we're talking about. Seeking after him. You might be thinking this. Surely it takes more than that. Surely it takes more than that. Again, think about this. A determination to follow God's method will bring miraculous results. You might think it takes more. You might think you need to do more. But listen, that's all you need to do. Is just seek God. Why won't God just show me? Because we don't seek Number two, I want to show you this. Why isn't God working? Why, why isn't God working? I mean, maybe we know where he is and we've sought him, but why isn't he working? Maybe, can I submit to you that it's because we don't pray. It's because we don't pray. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 19 and 20, uh, the, the, the context around this is this. The disciples try to cast out a demon. And the, the man, it's a, it's a man's son, and the disciples can't cast him out. And so Jesus comes and says, oh, ye of little faith, and then begins casting that demon out. The disciples, I'll read the chapter for you, Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. You say, Pastor Yomas, this is about faith, and I agree with you. This is about knowing that God can do something, but look at this verse. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Guys, listen, we want, I don't know about you. Maybe I should just give you my perspective. I want God to save this nation. I want God to save this city. I have neighbors that I want to see saved. I want to see a mountain mood. They've put up walls. They've put them up and said, listen, don't you talk to me about your religion. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to do anything. Listen, so what do I do? Try harder? Be more bold, possibly, but can I submit to you, 
maybe I should just pray more. Maybe I should just fast more. Maybe I should just have a greater faith in God. Because listen, the children of Israel didn't knock down one wall. You know who did? God did. And so if my neighbors are going to get saved, if my neighbors are going to know the gospel, they must have their walls knocked down, not by me, not by something wise or spectacular that I say, but by God. This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, the Bible says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Here it is. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Listen, there's, there's not one of us in this room that I think would th- say, oh, we've got plenty of young people going out and surrendering their lives to preach and teach the gospel, and we have all kinds, we have too many pastors. We have too many missionaries. We have too many people working in the community. Logically, you know what I want to do? I want to grab everybody by the arm and just twist it and say, you're going. That's logical, right? Or grab them by the ear and just pull them along. Logical, right? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. That he will send forth labors in heart. Listen, you're going to try and do more. You're going to try and understand more. You're going to try and push more. And you're going to try and do these things. Listen, I've already tried that, Pastor. I've prayed and prayed and prayed. My family member's still not saved. The church is still not growing. I have prayed, I'm a Sunday school teacher, and I've prayed, and the lessons just don't seem to stick. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the end of the verse says this The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A man in our church prayed for 30 years. 30 years for his brother to be saved. His brother's laying on his deathbed. Calls for this man. Says, can you come see me? Flies out, sees him. And is able to lead him to the Lord. About two weeks before he died. Listen, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So you might say, I- I've already done that. I've already been there. I've already, I mean, surely there's something more I could say. Surely there's something more I could do. No, 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 no. Pray. So what are you trying to say? I have to pray for hours? I have to pray for hours? Is that what you're trying to say? Or there's a song that we sing. It's called Sweet Hour of Prayer. That draws me from a world of care. Listen, it's sweet. Martin Luther said this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I have so much to do that I can't afford not to pray for three hours. How many of us are in the room today that can say, yeah, I can, I can go along with that. I've been there. I've done that. Can I tell you this? A determination to follow God's method will bring miraculous results. 
a determination to follow God's method. Listen, I'm, I'm standing here in front of you saying there have been times in my life where I thought I, I have to do more. I have to try more. I have to be more. I have to do more. No, no, no. Seek God. Pray. I'm going to give you a third one. How do I actually get to heaven? By following God's method. Listen, most of us think, I have to do something. John chapter 14 and verse 6, the Bible says this, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't make it to heaven without Jesus Christ. You can't do it. The only way you can get to the Father is through Christ. John 3 and verse 16, most of you would know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No, no, it's got to be easier than that. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you're saying, Pastor Olmans, all I have to do is trust in Jesus. All I have to do is trust that Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin for me. That's all I have to do to get to heaven. There has to be more than that. I mean, surely my good works have to outweigh my bad. Surely. I mean, surely I have to live a righteous life. I mean, I probably have to, I mean, help old ladies across the street and open doors for other people and, and go to hospital visits and work hard. And No, 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 no. All those things are good. All those things are wonderful, and I'm, I'm glad you have that ambition. But how do I actually get to heaven? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, the Bible says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Here it is, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, the children of Israel walked around and walked around and walked around 13 times. Not one thing happened. Not one crack, not one shaking, not one earthquake they didn't have to stick their sword in. They didn't have to rub, rub up against it. They didn't have to kick it. They didn't have to do anything to it. They just had to follow God's plan. Listen, we can follow God's plan for our salvation, which is not logical. But so often we can't follow God's plan for the rest of our lives. In every one of these things, there's human logic that must be denied. Just like the children of Israel in the story of the walls of Jericho, they had to deny their logic and just keep walking. So here's my challenge to you today. Take an inventory of your life. Let me ask you this. How much do you actually seek God? How much do you actually seek God? I, I look across this room, I think I know most of you. Most of you say, well, yeah, I mean, of course I seek God. Oh, of course. I mean, I mean I'm here in church today, aren't I? This is what I mean. I want you to write down the time, the amount of time that you spend watching television. 
I want you to write down the amount of time you spend on your phone. I want you to write down the amount of time you spend at work. I want you to write those things down. And I want you to write down the amount of time that you spend seeking God. It will be a humbling experience. Because we say we seek God. We say we long for him. We say we want him. But, like, reality sets in. I want you to do the same with prayer. Can we actually say, listen, if, if all of us pray at our meals, that would be great. But how many of us are taking inventory and actually praying trying to understand who God is and doing God's method. I want you to take an inventory this week. Take the whole week to do it. Now, I'm not going to check up on you. I would love to. But listen, I'm going to do the same. And I guarantee you, it's not pretty. It's not what we, what God expects from us. It's not his method we filled our lives with everything that we think is worthy, everything that we think is good. But listen, we need to follow despite logic, despite what we think. We need to move forward. How are you actually believing you will make it to heaven? If you're here today and you don't know, let me ask you a question. Take inventory of your life. How are you actually believing you're going to make it to heaven? Be honest with yourself. Take inventory. Listen to this. If we don't, if we don't take inventory of our life, if we don't figure this thing out, I will guarantee you this. We will keep walking around the walls, poking at them, going, how come nothing's moving? We'll keep going around going, God, where are you? God, how come you're not showing up? We're going to keep walking around going, God, how come you're not doing anything in my life? God, why aren't you working? Why, 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 why? We're just going to keep walking around poking at things, working hard, sweating, working for him, trying to make the walls fall down for him. But he just says, listen, will you, will you do my method? Will you take my pathway? Here it is again, a determination to follow God's method will bring miraculous results. 